The information discussed in this episode is intended as general information only. It is not intended for one-on-one medical advice, and you should always consult your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. And if you like the content discussed in this episode, please go leave a review so that others can benefit from it as well. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters. So I am bringing back to the Resetter podcast one of my favorite guests of all time, Dr. Nasha Winters. And as you guys are going to experience in this interview, this woman is not only ridiculously smart, she not only is on a mission to help people who are going through cancer, and you'll hear us even make the connection to COVID and some of the things we're seeing about the similarities of metabolic syndrome with COVID and cancer patients, but she is so full of love and and passion for humanity. I think you're going to just absolutely fall in love with this conversation because of who she is and how she shows up in the world. Don't you think, Jess? Yeah. Well, and she has an incredible pain to purpose story. I don't remember if she talked about it in her first time here, but yeah, she's got so much passion behind what she's doing. Yeah, so so I brought her on about a year and a half ago onto my podcast. You can go see the, um, it was actually one of our initial podcasts. It's like episode two or three of the Resetter podcast. And one of the things that I learned from her was that if you cannot fast for, and she said it again on this interview, if you cannot fast for and go without food for, she said today, four hours or longer, you are not metabolically flexible. You, when, if you are hangry, and this was me, oh my gosh, right. before fasting, I was like, if you didn't give me food, I was going to take you down. I, I would and, say it's probably most of the Resetter <laughs> Collaborative before they found us. Tons of people feel that way. Agreed. Agreed. And so she was the first one to help, like, help me see that if this is where you sit today, you're going to want to hear what she has to say because she gives some really concrete strategies so that you can learn how to get out of that hangry place, get out of that fasting intolerance is the way I might, yeah. I might say it. So she gave some really great ideas there, didn't you think? Yeah. Well, I would say too, this ep- this episode is for not just for people with cancer, but prevention of cancer. If you've got a loved one that you've watched go through cancer, I mean, you and I know this, watching people have gone through cancer, like this is applicable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And so her book, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i tell you a little bit about her from my heart. This is literally like, this is not me reading her website because I just know her as a person and how phenomenal she is. But her book is my go-to book. It is called The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. So if you have cancer, if a loved one has cancer, I really encourage you to go and get that book. The other thing about Dr. Nasha is that she is always very clear about blood tests you should be doing. So you 
you can see what your body is, if it is metabolically flexible, if it's not, if you're building disease. And she, she went after it again today. She like listed out seven tests that you should be doing. So if you like tests, if you like that concrete evidence, she definitely goes into this in this book or in this episode. And she is on, if you go and you Google Dr. Nasha Winters, she is all over the world educating people about how they can overcome cancer, how they can prevent cancer. And then what she and I really took this conversation to a whole nother level to help people understand that, and she called it the the three C's, cancer, COVID, and chronic illness, that at the root of of those three things, lives metabolic inflexibility. And she is the queen of teaching you how to become metabolically flexible. Yeah. Well, and this is just what we've been talking about for the last eight months. So it coincided so well. It was perfect. So I'm just really excited to bring you this sweet spirit and this incredible conversation. So Dr. Nasha Winters, enjoy. Hey, Recenters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Okay, let's start with just like in your words, the most basic principle of what takes a healthy cell and turns it into a cancer cell. How does that happen? Well, I think that the place to start with this is to, as you alluded to before we started the interview, was you know a lot of people are looking for a single target with a single agent to treat it, and that that implies that there's also a single cause mm. and therefore a single treatment to deal mm. with. And, mm-hmm. 
what we've known to be the case, whether we were coming from a somatic concept, which is the concept of this being a gene-driven process, or a metabolic process, meaning a kind of mitochondrial metabolic um, disturbance in the milieu process, either way, both of those sort of camps can agree upon the fact that it's not a single cause, single cure, and yet it's still how we try and treat it. It's just like our medical system is sort of geared to be that way. It's just, it's just the way it is. But ultimately, it is a collection, an accumulation of events, of uh, toxicants, of bad metabolic processing, uh, you know, basically a wrong use of certain fuel sources into the body, or you know, getting out of rhythm with nature, uh, false you know, environments around us from blue screens and fake light mm-hmm. and getting away from knowing even that there's a, you know, a moon brewing out there. Like people like forget that there's like this basic nature happening around them. There are so many, so many cumulative factors that it's constantly like surprising to me that people keep looking for a single cause, single cure. It's mm-hmm. just, it just blows my mind. So the simple thing is, is that the soil becomes incredibly burdened, incredibly toxic. And when we have that, it keeps producing bad, you know, produce. It, it keeps right. bad, you know, outcomes, if you will. And so in our world, in the way we treat in Western medicine today, we're like, well, good. Here's some, here's some weeds. Let's go and pull them out of the soil. Okay, well, that's step one. Well, then we come back and we see the weeds are now back with a bigger, you know, more difficult. The, the root systems are a little bit deeper. It's a little more difficult to pull those out of the soil. So then we bring in toxic chemicals and we spray that down. And we're like, great, look at that. But amazingly, everything is now dead in the soil. Mm. And still through that soil, we see these really tenacious weeds coming up. And so we keep cutting and chopping and spraying and we keep expecting a different outcome. Now I'm giving you this analogy just to understand how Western medicine seems to be doing its job today, which is frankly a miserable failure. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, yeah. This isn't a critique on my colleagues who practice in this field. They're the first in line to tell you what yeah. a failure it is. And so instead we have to go deeper. We have to actually look at the quality of the soil. What is nourishing the soil? What is under what we can't see under the root systems, under the the surface? What are we not seeing? And that is where we really miss out in the way we treat and deal with cancer is that we're not doing the appropriate exploration of what's going on under the surface. We're just looking at what's up here. It's like, yeah. Why do you think they do that? Why do you, I mean, this is like, I've sat with so many people with cancer and it's like, their oncologists are not mean. They're not ill-intending. Like, oh. is it, why don't they, like the way you just explained it is so simple. Why do they not look at it like that? Well, let me give you an example. Literally an hour before I joined this podcast with you, I was looking at a Facebook forum that I happened. I, I'm on a lot of different Facebook forums in the cancer community. I mainly want to be there as a fly on the wall. I want to see what people are thinking and feeling, what they're being told. I want to see what the pain points are in this field so I can be a person who brings solution, right? That's Mm -hmm. why I sit there. And this woman got into the conversation and in 2016, she was diagnosed with a stage one localized node negative ERPR positive BCIS breast cancer. They went in, they did a lumpectomy, quote unquote, got it all. She Mm -hmm. did to not do any therapies beyond that. She didn't do radiation. She didn't do hormone blocking therapy. She didn't do chemotherapy, she just stopped right there. Now, a lot of people think, well, good on her for taking an alternative approach. 
she didn't take an alternative approach. She took a take something out and leave it at that. It's out of my body. And now I can go back to life as I know it Mm. approach. Now, fast forward to four years, it's now stage four Mm. where now now she's like, well, why didn't I took some supplements and I did this like, how do you know what you had going on back then? How do you know what the soil was all about that grew it the first time around? And how do you know what what happened after you plucked that initial weed out of the soil? How did you know this? Mm-hmm. How did you know this from your standard of care? How did you know this from an integrative or alternative approach? And this is wherein lies the problem. So in Western medicine, we only run labs to make sure that the next chemotherapy can be given in a timely fashion. We want to make mm. sure ANC that your CDC uh, white blood cell count is high enough that you can tolerate another round of chemotherapy in a, you know, in a stair-step fashion. And if it isn't, they don't say, okay, we should probably take a break and let your own body recuperate. They give you a shot that's basically lipstick on a pig that makes your white blood count look like it's safe Better. at the next session. It's utter bullshit. There's no reality of what that number is telling you, except for the fact that those drugs have zero impact on your overall progressive free survival or survival in general. And in fact, there are several studies that show they can actually increase mortality they do so because they rev up a lot of oxidative stress. They really cause harm to the bone marrow. So it's a falsification of data. It's, it's a lying of the data. And instead, if we gave the body the time to rebuild and recoup herself, we could actually keep moving forward. So for this patient who had this diagnosis and just plucked out the weed, she never looked to see why she got the weed to begin with. Right. right? Yeah. That's what our, our medical system has zero training in how to assess that yep. and no interest in, in dealing with it because there's not a pharmaceutical fix. There's not a surgical fix. There's not, you know, like we tell people that preventative medicine is a mammogram. And right. how is the idea of smashing and radiating something preventative? You know? yeah. Right. Do we know radiation does across all types of bodies across the world? It causes cancer. So these are the weird things that today we, as functional medicine providers, vitalistic medicine providers, we are curious, right? What lies below the surface? And we take that next step to dig deeper. And unfortunately, it is out of the sandbox of our Western medical approach. But this woman, I would have, if I'd met her back in 2016, I would have said, okay, let's look at the three main drivers of breast cancer across the board. Now, everyone's different, but these are common themes. And the common themes are elevated insulin, low vitamin D3, and a body fat composition, not a BMI, a body fat composition about 25%. So you, I know, speak to your group all the time about the topies out there, those yep. on the outside, fat on the inside folks that they look great on paper. They look yep. skinny fat. Skinny fat, right? <laughs> A lot of people just like ignore, they're like, if I can fit into my cute jeans, I'm good. But what's happening on the inside is a whole metabolic nightmare going on. So had that woman looked under the hood then, she likely would have found at least one, if not all three of those as a driver, as well as other additional you know, inputs into the system. So here she is now, worse for the wear. Mm-hmm. And now, now we have to step up our approach. We can't just go, oh, a little bit of dietary tweaking and you're going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's on the move. So now we have something bigger to deal with. So we both need to tr- treat the terrain, understand mm-hmm. what got her here, but we also have to do a little more pushback on the tumor burden. And there are a million different ways to do both of those things. Yeah. But I 
focus your attention in that we aren't asking the right questions. We are not curious by nature as patients or clinicians. And when we do find something questionable, we usually put a sticker over it and ignore it. Like, let's ignore that check engine light or that built-in alarm system until we are broken down on the side of the highway. Yeah. This it, it sounds like as you're as you're talking I'm like we could just take the word cancer and like move cancer out and put covid in there cuz I I feel the same thing like as I researched like covid and why we have so many immune compromised people I'm like I don't flip in care about the the vaccine. I don't care about the test. I care why so many people are immune compromised and why the F and A are we not talking about that? And it's the it's like we started with cancer being the problem. Now we got COVID being the problem. If we don't address this, it's gonna be something else. Exactly. And it is. We have the something else is the real pandemic. You know, there's that's right. There are sixteen hundred people a day that die of cancer in the United States. There are right. 50,000 people that die every single day around the world of preventable diseases. But we didn't shut down the economy to, to deal with that. And <laughs> yeah, we're not testing. We're testing for people's infectious status, but we're not actually, I mean, so just to know, 80% of people who get COVID will either be asymptomatic or have such minor symptoms that they'll be like, that was annoying and move on. It's the 20% that we should be focusing our attention on. And that's not 20% to say, stay home, put on a mask and do a a vaccine, that's not the answer to that crisis either. That crisis is to examine why 20% and not 100% are having problems, to your point right. entirely. This same, I'm, I actually just recorded and it will be uh, presented at the end of the month at the Low Carb USA, this exact conversation. This is my talk about the cytokine storm. Yeah. About who it affects and why it affects them and how to test, assess, and address it, how to head it off the pass, and how to really deal with a crisis at hand. It's not the pesky virus. The virus is actually just like cancer. They came here as messengers. Right. Here to heal us. That's right. To show us an opportunity to think about and do things differently. And I say that and I'll get all kinds of haters because then people say, I fall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, yeah. And I get that a lot. It's like, you're victimizing. Like I see my colleagues say, we're not supposed to, you know, this is fat shaming. I'm like, no, this is called, let's do, because I, I know a lot of robust people that have amazing metabolic metrics. Perfect. It's like, and I have a lot of super ass skinny people that have the worst metabolic metrics you can imagine. Let's stop looking at the physical container and let's look under the hood. And right. The seven tests that, that the world in oncology uses to assess if a patient's going to have a cytokine storm to a given treatment. These, by the way, are also turning out to be the same tests we should be screening patients with before being diagnosed with COVID, or even if they have it to say, how bad is this going to get? And those are simple. There's seven questions you ask. How high are your neutrophils? Are they too high? Are your lymphocytes, number two, too low? Are your platelets too high? Is your LDH, your lactase dehydrogenase, too high? Do you have liver disease, be it metastatic, fatty liver, NASH, any of those conditions? Are you over the age of 52? And do you have a poor ECOG score? So basically a a metrics that measures like an international unit of measurement showing how physically fit and able you are to just do your day-to-day living experiences. When you look at the people that are succumbing to immune therapies that they're using to treat their cancer... 80% of those patients who take those drugs are going to die outright or have such a bad experience, they have to stop those drugs. 
interestingly enough, you switch that around and the 20% of patients that are having bad COVID experiences are also fitting in the same category of this MDA Anderson prognostic score factor for immune response and, and cytokine res, um, storm response. So it's interesting. It is, right? And yeah. I need to fill low lymphocyte. You already know you have a broken immune system. You can also look on PubMed and realize that just an elevated neutrophil below lymphocyte ratio is prognostic for mortality across all. Interesting. Now, nobody is talking about that. I haven't heard, right? Like, I love your list. As you're talking, I'm like, oh, we're going to take those lists because people love that and just gives people something to focus on. Totally. And here's what's crazy. This isn't my list. This is MD Anderson's list. Right, right. Like, why aren't they... Yeah. Are they following through with their own data collection? And my colleagues on the front lines in China and Spain and Italy who are letting me know, okay, Nash, we're seeing ridiculously high platelets. We're seeing people that have pro-coagulatory processes going on before this hits. We're seeing that people are dehydrated, that their blood sugars are making their blood agglutinate and get really sticky, that the LDH, when it's elevated, is a metabolic mitochondrial marker and usually a marker of liver dysfunction. And when the liver's sick, that also um, affects metabolism and sugar, blood sugar, but also coagulation pathways to make you at a higher risk of things. If you have a poor ECOG score, you're deconditioned, you're sitting on your butt all day, you need help with just day-to-day events, you might have to ride your little scooter around the grocery store because you can't walk under your own volition. Those people are at risk. These are things that no one's talking about. It's like only 20% of all of us are going to get exposed to this, are going to have a crisis. And instead of Putting us all into fear around this, we need to help that 20%. Right. Their soil, just like that woman with the stage one cancer four years ago, it's now stage four, you know, stage one to stage four in a matter of a couple of years. This is the same thing as you alluded to. We now have 20% of the population that will either outright die from this condition or have long term sequela and problems, mostly from mismanagement. Mm-hmm. of their condition, which I also talk about in the presentation that's happening later this month. But these are the things, like you said, we can geek out on all of what that means. And like the age thing, this is so fun among our, among our community. That's about poor melatonin levels as we naturally yeah. age. But interesting. Sitting in front of a computer screen at 3 a.m. Yep. Live by blue light alone. And you don't know what's happening on the outside in your severely nature deficit. You, as a 15, 18, 28, 38-year-old, have terribly low melatonin levels. And melatonin is critical for modulating your immune system response, as well as your inflammatory response, specifically your NLRP3, which is all about your inflammasome. Interesting. One of the things that blow my mind when people are like, oh, he was only 18 and died of this. I'm like, and there's, see, I want to know what that's. That's exactly, whenever people say that, like, they're like, I'm scared because my neighbor, blah, 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 had, and and they were young. I'm like, but what was going on underneath? And oh my God, I have so many thoughts on this, but I want to make sure that we, and I could, this has been like blowing my mind is how we are looking at the wrong thing. And I know that you've been, you know, it's been blowing your mind around cancer and how we're looking at the wrong thing. But as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, okay, so if this 20% that is going to have an issue with COVID, is that the same the body that that 20% is living in is the same body that builds cancer? It's, are we looking at the same imbalances? Yes, it is a sick, broken terrain, a bucket just full of gunk 
that needs to be dumped out and started over, the soil amended, the right nourishment brought on board, the wrong nutrients taken out of the equation, the, you know, the, the simple things that grow your garden, hydration, good fertilizer, sunshine. Guess what? Most of us are walking around today without those basic building blocks, right? Consistent with life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Huh. Well, and I did a bunch that the air pollution, the vitamin D and air pollution, I did a bunch of research on that. It was really interesting about how air pollution blo- blocks UV rays from being able to hit your skin and turn it into vitamin D. Hair wipes out our glutathione levels, which is our other inflammasome yeah. fighter and our reactive oxygen species, you know, warrior. All of these pieces are huge. And glutathione is sequestered in the lung, the eyes, the liver. Those are the areas that need mm. a lot of glutathione to clean up the mess. And it's very vulnerable. So when people, you know, do have, you know, these, this, they are part of the 20%. There's a colleague of mine who's made the airwaves that her story is really compelling to me because she's really known in the functional medicine world. And she, on, out in the world, she shows us how to live well. There's mm-hmm. another small layer that comes into this, which is we also have some predispositions genetically. So there are certain genetic predispositions, such as if you have Asian or Latin descent, you tend to have a higher rate of MTHFR, rates of ACE2, rates of G6PD, all of these different patterns that we're now looking at, increased risks of blood clots, increased risks of metabolic syndrome, increased risks of improper glutathione, you know, like ability to quench up these toxins that we're being exposed to. And so when we look like her experience, she had a hell of a ride with COVID. She came out on the other side, but all of her medical team said to her, had you not been doing all of the things right, you would not have survived this. Interesting. Clayton, and that her, there was this component, and that'll be a small percentage of even that 20% that were up against what she was personally up against. But thankfully, she had tools in her toolbox to bring her back on the brink of this. And she knows what she can do to deal with the fibrosis in her lungs and to help her blood clotting issues stay nice and viscous. And, you know, an example is one of our colleagues recently ended up also on life support with COVID who, you know, he was not following his own instruction. Oh, that's interesting. He was on, you know, he was diabetic on blood, you know, on uh, blood sugar meds. And he almost died as well. They were ready to intubate him. And instead we were able to convince the hospital in Orlando to do IV vitamin C. And we wow. turned the, the, we headed it off at the pass. He wow. was able to avoid having intubation and ventilation, which actually in retrospect, we're seeing that that's probably been one of the largest morbidity creators. Yeah among the folks who end up hospitalized with us is like, oops, we didn't quite choose the right approach for this. Yeah. So we got lucky that he had someone advocating for him and someone in the hospital willing to apply this. And luckily we have hospitals all over the US and outside of the United States borders that are using this standard now. High dose IV vitamin C. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I taught four different hospitals how to utilize this. Um, okay, you go, girl. That's awesome. Well, I'm like nothing. My colleague, Dr. Paul Anderson, he wrote up a paper, basically a protocol that's written for a hospital environment to do Amazing. that. And so it's out there and it's available to us. And T 
cheap and easy in that environment. And it's, yep. it's insane to me that we aren't reaching for that more. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, okay. So let's, let's dive into this 20% because I really want like this to be, I don't want to freak everybody out, but I want it. My big thing has been like, how do we pull people out of fear? How do we pull people out of cancer fear? How do we pull them out of COVID fear? Because as you and I know, we are living in a miraculous body that if you treat it in a very specific way, it doesn't matter if it's a cancer cell or a COVID virus, it has the ability to adapt. So what is this, what's going on in this 20%? And if you are listening and you came because you wanted to listen about cancer, I want you to just, yes, every time you hear cancer, put COVID and let's put them together. So what's going on with this 20% lifestyle? Like what lifestyle changes can we make? Well, first, I love you just call it the big C and we can make it fall, fall into the category of cancer, COVID or chronic illness. So we'll just call Perfect. it. Perfect. So that works out nicely because it's the same. It's the same terrain that these things are sprouting from. Okay? Great. Number two, I have my own version of the CDC. You know, I know a lot of people heard me talk about this. So this is about circadian rhythm, diet and community. Oh, I love it. Oh, I haven't heard this. So you're like, re- you're, you're like redefining the CDC, like take it back. <laughs> your podcast, your approach is the CDC. You know, your show, yeah. how to get back in the rhythm and accordance of nature, yep. how to get your genetics matched more like what you actually get yep. to match what you are right now, how to get your diet and even fasting programs in to help change and upregulate this and how to bring your community around to help that but also your community around that you can inspire and change and that they can change you. And that oxytocin release, which I love that you talk about so much, we oxytocin our hormonal systems, the whole bit. So that's the place where you can start and it's free and available to everybody everywhere. Great. Great. And when we look at those seven questions I posed earlier, they do directly relate back to circadian rhythm patterning. Okay. And that melatonin discussion which is about how we quench our anti, you know, how we quench the oxidative, oxidative stressful things that we're exposed to diet, via diet, lifestyle, toxicants from the environment, stress in your life, poor sleeping habits. That's something you can take command of immediately. And in doing so, you upregulate your own body's ability to quench those exogenous toxins. The dietary piece, this is... Wait, hold on, before you go into dietary. So that would be just for everybody, that would be like going to bed when the sun goes down, getting up when the sun comes up, avoiding blue light before you go to bed. Like, I mean, I think that's one thing that most people don't realize is that when you go to sleep, you are actually detoxifying. You're, You're so intelligently designed that your brain shrinks so that the cerebral spinal fluid can go up and pull out all the toxins. Exactly. So, And that doesn't cost money. Yeah. And that's the thing is that in that realm of also supporting this rhythm within yourself, being outdoors, getting laughs mm. like that. Red light is incredibly helpful to stimulate your melatonin levels endogenously. You right. can take some exogenous to support you, especially if you're over the age of 50. That might be wise, somewhere between three and 10 milligrams at bedtime or at least 12 hours after waking. The other piece is we have a lot of people who have to work shift work for whatever, yeah. for whatever reason. We know definitively that that is harmful to their health. So they have to up the antes. They have to take even better care of themselves. Mm. Our colleague who ended up almost dead from this, she has to work harder than the average joke because she was wired in a particular way 
that makes some things challenging for her, just like me with my cancer history, BRCA and a lot of other epigenetic hiccups make me a sitting duck for this. So I'm not going to sit. I'm going to get up and move around and quack around and move my arms. It's like, I'm trying to teach all of you. And then the piece of the nature, it's like grounding, earthing, walking along the beach to get those negative ions, the sun exposure, getting out there and getting a little pinkness on your skin every day as much as possible to upregulate 200 gene triggers just by vitamin D synthesis alone. That's amazing. So turning off your Wi-Fi, at least in mm. your sleeping hours, mm. keeping your phone off entirely or at least on airplane mode and away from your body. These are the things that are disrupting our rhythm. And those are things we can take a, a stab at on our own to improve upon the quality of life just in the rhythm of our life. So you could like, would it be, I, I always put my phone on airplane mode at night, but, but even better would be turn the, the router off. Turn the router off. And if yep. you router off and you've got your airplane mode on, you can still be hooked up to cellular and that's mm-hmm. not going to put as much out to you as your router would. Okay. And I always keep my phone even off my Wi-Fi anyway, unless right. I'm in an environment where I don't have access to the cellular and I just need to get on there and get off there as quickly as possible. Distance right. always key. You want it at least 18 inches or more from your body. And really anybody under the age of five shouldn't even have a device like this on or near them. Yeah. At time. That's for pediatric association. Yeah. So it horrifies me how many kids are now sitting at home being babysat. Yeah. Parents can't go to work. And they're sitting in front of these screens, you know, like, oh my gosh. And now we're setting up a, because remember we were saying this doesn't really affect the young. That's changing because we're completely nuking their little mitochondria with all the blue light exposures, the indoor poor air quality, the poor diets. And we're like, okay, I just have to get you fed. I'm just going to throw some Lunchables on (sighs) it and like hope for the best. You know, it's like, these are the things that scare me more. Yeah about the long-term effect of this versus the actual virus itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just don't know until this is all over how that younger generation, that is, that's absolutely crazy. When we first went in quarantine, I was like, this makes no sense that we all stay inside. It just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't make sense. So, and we're so meant to be synergistic with nature and, you know, even like today, I've been inside my office building all day. And then tomorrow I ha- I'm half day in my office. So in the morning, I try to get out and, and on the weekends, like overdo it on if you can't be, tw- you know, out at, during the week. Yeah. yeah. And, and here, you know, even if we go back, if, if memory or um, history repeats itself, where we had some of the biggest support in other pandemics historically is we would actually move the gurneys out, you know. Of- oh, Yeah. On into the end of the fresh air, into the sunlight. So you'd have buildings where we could open up the windows and create ventilation. I mean, there's so many components to this that, at the very least, again, if you're in an environment where that can't be done, yeah. there's no reason why we can't bring in high quality air filtration systems, why we can't bring in red light therapies or far infrared therapies into these environments that are closed off from nature. We can replicate nature. Some to at least to some level of accuracy with some of these amazing modernized biohacker tools, yeah, clever work as well as nature. But at least in institutionalized environments like our school systems, our hospitals, our nursing homes, we have to overcome some of these obstacles that are preventing the 20% of us from being resilient and resistant enough to deal with this infection when it comes your way. Because yeah. it, it means, just like everything else, like. 
we are getting immune system upgrades as we speak with being exposed to this. And likely the way you really get ahead of a pandemic is for everyone to have exposure and hope and pray that you can save the lives of those 20% that are meant to, well, not meant to be, but are unfortunately the byproduct of a culture and an environment and a medical system and a public health care system that has failed them miserably. Yeah. Yeah, you you actually put an article out on Facebook that had I think you've had a firsthand experience with the Navajo tribe in in Arizona, but the title caught my attention and the title was Have We Created the Perfect Human for This Virus to Invade? And it was a Scientific American article, and it was really well said. If you went in and you looked at the what what it was causing the people in this community to fall prey to the virus, I walked away and was like, we didn't just create the perfect human in Arizona, in this tribe. We created the perfect human across the world. Yeah. And this is why like, I want to dive into this nuance, because whether it's cancer or COVID, it, 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 where there's a tendency to point fingers outward. And what we have to do is ask ourselves, how do we not be the perfect human? Exactly, exactly. Or to upgrade ourselves to be a different human than what we've become. And so much- There of, you go. Exactly, it's huge. And that does, there are, this moves into the D part of the CDC. The right. Diet and so you have to take an honest look at your diet. And if you are one of the 88% of Americans that are metabolically broken, and this is for a study that came out. Yeah, 12%. There are only 12% of Americans are metabolically fit. So if you're one of those, I mean, really, if you are one of those 12%, good on you. But work hard to keep it that way because it's easy to fall onto the other side of this camp. If you have any question as to whether you are an 88%er, you must test. So we need you to look at your insulin. We really ideally want that under five. We want you to look at your hemoglobin A1C. Again, ideally under five. The higher those levels are, the more your blood is thick and sticky, the more organ damage you have, the more oxidized you are, the more rusting you are internally, the more mentally and metabolically broken you are, the more sensitive you are to stress and stress response and and frankly, bad ideas. Because in that, when you are sick, you don't make rational choices for yourself. And what happens when we get under duress, many of us will reach to the comfort foods will reach to the very things that dismantle our metabolic health even further. And if you live in a food desert like the Navajo Nation or certain parts of inner cities or certain parts of the country, the ability for you to even find the foods that will serve your body to overcome this are near to impossible. So that means we also have to become advocates and we also bring these foods into these places, teach people how to grow these foods again, you know, deliver these foods in these environments and then show them what to do with them. And unfortunately, in places like Navajo Nation, about 70% don't even have um, electricity to have refrigeration. So the yep. of high quality, healthy foods in their diet, um, surely because of infrastructure breakdown is abominable. So at least we could reach for colleagues out there who have biodynamic farms that are growing these amazing foods that are then dehydrating them and putting them into powders uh-huh. at the very least add hot water to to turn into these unbelievable nutrient dense foods or add into smoothies or even mix into your meatloaf for crying out loud or right. spaghetti sauce 
These are ways to get nutrient-dense, rich foods into the system. And where, where do you find those? Where do you find the dehydrated stuff? Well, what the company that I tend to use a lot is Dr. Cowan's Garden. Oh, you told me. Yeah. Okay. We got to look into that. I love that. Exactly. But there are more and more companies like this opening up. And you know, he's a real stickler for perfection, which I love because they're biodynamic and sustainable and super nutrient dense. And he's done all of the you know, ways of thinking about it in this very esoteric, anthroposophical way. So that you can do this simply by, I mean, how many of you, like I had a zucchini this week that was like the size of my right leg for crying out loud. It's like to cut one of those up, dehydrate, we dehydrated, like putting them through our spiralizer and our food processor. Zucchinis can grow anywhere on this planet. They grow out of the garbage can. They are, they are prolific. For me, they're so prolific. And so turn that into dehydrated noodles that will come out again and again and again in the coming months when they're not naturally growing from your garden. We as a, as a community can be taking, like in my town of Durango, car, we have fruit trees. We've got peach trees and apple trees and cherry everywhere that just like falls off the trees. We could be collecting those, dehydrating those, powdering them. We're just having food rings. We're giving into the soup kitchens. We're into these communities. There's so much more. We have so much food waste in this world, especially in the United States. That Such we, a good idea. And you can, if you've got stuff like dying in the bottom of your freezer drawer, I call it the, I call it my uh, special soup night where we pretty much take everything and turn it into a broth, strain it off, drink it like a nice potassium rich broth or freeze it for future soup bases in the future. That's the place where none of our food should be going to waste right now. And and great idea. Empty shells of produce instead of empty shells of processed foods. And that's the other switch that just blows my mind. When I thought now everyone's going to wake up, you know, back in March and April when this happened, (laughs) it's almost like we became like, screw it. I'm just going to put on some Netflix and just start downing Fritos. Yeah. You watch Tiger King. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then it comes down to the next place, which is free. Like I've given some kind of food options here, but to look at, again, do some blood tests, look at and see what your metabolic health is about. Glucose is the least effective test in my mind to look at because it's Mm. so dynamic. And Mm. I have brother-in-laws who had glycemic levels of under 90 who died of diabetes for crank. Interesting. So insulin and A1C are better. Way better because- Yeah. You can't fudge an A1C. Yeah. A1C the average of three months. So, you know, if you're someone who's a little bit worthy, you're like, I want to show one how metabolically flexible I am. And you go out and you fast overnight and you go to the gym and work out and then you go run your labs, they're going to look pretty good. Yeah. So basically, again, like me giving you the shot of the Nupagen to make your white blood cells look good, that doesn't help anybody. That is a false representation of your metabolic health. The other questions to ask yourself, can you go longer than four hours without shoving something in your mouth? I remember you saying that the first time we chatted, you were like, if you can't go a long period of time without eating, you are not metabolically flexible. Exactly. Because we by nature should be able to go. We didn't have food available to us all the time. We needed to be able to go dormant, you know, and and wait until we needed to find our next meal. Today, you don't have to go far. You can go into your phone. You can order something online delivered. It's so easy to eat today and petrified to go without. And we feel deprived if we go without. And yet when I see people who can't go more than four hours or who get a little hangry or irritable or shaky or wonky or don't feel good or can't go to bed without a snack, 
or have to burst out of bed and put something in their mouth first thing in the morning, that's a sign that you're one of those 88%. And so you have to start to push that and challenge that. And that's going to take you going without for a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. I know you know how to guide people through this safely. Yeah. It's like I tell people, start with 13 hours. Yep. Do 13 hours your first go. That's a sign. Okay. Well then start with however many hours you can do. Maybe it's eight hours in the beginning. And then you start to work and challenge it. Because if you can't go 13 hours your first go, you're really metabolically broken. So you want to then look at what you're ingesting during the day and cut back on carbs. And if you don't know what a carb is, it's time for you to use something like chronometer or MyFitnessPal and start putting in your diet diary to know. Included, I thought I ate a, a really high quality, low carb diet when I was a vegetarian. I was like, I mean, perfectly, this is great. I was averaging 400 grams of carbohydrate a day. What? Yeah, that's pretty common. 300 grams is pretty common. You know, three to 400 grams, and that's in. I was having my legumes with my with my rice to make sure I was getting my protein, and then I was having all my fruit and my dry fruits on my granola that I was making, and I was having my like sweetened almond milk or whatever it was, plus my juicing that I was doing with this. And I loved all of my beets and all of my, like I really loved my sweet things. Suddenly you look at that and you're like, I had three days worth of sugar by the end of breakfast every day. And I wow. couldn't go more than four hours without it. Was that before, before, when you got your cancer diagnosis? Yeah, and even yeah. fought it like a raging bull or a death yep. because I was like, this mentally is what I'm supposed to be doing. But my body kept saying, Oh, contrary to my own prayer. And then it, when I started to actually test this and realize, wow, I'm diabetic. My insulin is in the 20s. You know, I'm 30 pounds heavier than I am right now. It's like there was a big wake up call yeah. to that. Yeah. And then to even look at the registered dietitians telling us that we should be eating less than 100 grams in total of carbohydrate a day, all of us. This isn't talking to the low carb community, and that men should be eating less than 25 grams of, of that being sugar and women less than 20 grams of that being sugar. Have you ever looked at someone who's still eating a standard American diet that has ever even come close to making that mark? Yeah, no Hospital. way. Yeah. Eat, but then in the hospitals and whatnot, they're serving you the antithesis of that. So yeah. literally by the end of your breakfast serving the hospital on a hospital tray, you've eaten three days of sugar per their standards. What what is your recommendation for carbs? Like, and we usually go by net carbs in in our community. I'm, I don't know if you have a carb or a net carb figure. I go with kind of the net carbs when I'm looking at someone who is looking to optimize their metabolic functioning, looking at that have you know a, a, a body composition that's pretty stable and and are not dealing with a very glycolytic metabolic cancer process. So when I look at that, I would say really. Unless someone is incredibly physically active, less than 50 grams of carbs total a day. Yeah, that's what I, that's what we say too. I say that that's like your doable. Some people have to go lower, but I feel like that's a doable. We can all live at that pretty easily. It's a great starting point. Yeah. It's like start there and see what you feel like. Yeah. Oh, and some people can get away with more and some people can get away with less. And you have to just titrate to the N equals one of that yeah. experiment. And so that's the place, if you can't go 13 hours, you got to start with what you're eating in the day. And what we know can help satiate people and get them over the hurdle are things like more hydration, water helps, things like cinnamon in and on everything, especially if you have like black coffee, cinnamon is a real good help on that. Coffee itself is a little bit of an immuno or a appetite suppressant, so that mm -hmm. helps. And then of course, cut, picking up the fats while lowering the carbohydrates, you get more satiated from the fats 
then you do the carbs. And then we always get very specific depending on people's epigenetics on what fats would work better when and why and how. But for your general listening, you know, that's a simple place. But get you in the ballpark. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you gotta do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org, and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community, on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. As I started to study over the last several months what was at the root of these immune of so many immune compromised people, it was just like all fingers were pointing at metabolic syndrome. And I was like, okay, we have to go back and teach people how to eat again because the food industry doesn't have any invested interest in your health. It's all in keeping you addicted to their foods. So I, I'm like, I'm like, we have to go back and go to the basics and teach people. And then I actually had a really interesting experience where I was invited to talk to a a school in South Carolina, and it was in a community where there was high COVID deaths. They were pretty freaked out. It was the beginning of school. And so I explained metabolic syndrome. I talked about like some lateral changes they could make. I don't know. There was maybe 50 teachers and a principal on a Zoom call. And then I realized at the end of the call, one of the guys said to me, if I look at the peanut butter, because I used the example of if you're going to pick up peanut butter, could you look and see if it has high fructose corn syrup in it? And if it does, could you make another choice? And he said, that choice will cost me $8 a jar. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, I can't afford that. And, and here's what I tell folks in that environment. Make your own peanut butter. Mm. It's so down in Mexico, there where we spend half our year, there are huge peanut farmers out there, and we buy our peanuts in bulk and put them through a a, basically a Vitamix and make our own nut butter. So it's so easy. You're buying several pounds of beautiful, like literally fresh roasted, not sitting and getting aflatoxin, mold, toxicity, like literally from the garden to the roaster to your, you know, food processor into your snack bag, and we make our own. And that's mm. the cheap way to do it. Yeah. So it's more work. It's but it, you know, it is, but if you're in like a, an environment like someone purchases a big mass grinder, 
Right. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, and you make it in bulk there and you keep it, you know, contained. It's easy to go. Add coconut oil, you know, MCT oil to preserve it and keep it creamy. Those yeah. are, the, of course, then added extra fat. You could add a little bit. If you've got a sweet tooth palate of little kids, you could add a little stevia or monk fruit to that instead of the cane sugar and the high fructose. And you could also add a little cinnamon to yeah. it. So you've now made this unbelievable tasty treat that is way cheaper than even buying your GIF, okay? Yeah. Doing it this way. And you said there's like a step before, but my God, my mother-in-law would take a wagon down to the mill to get their, you know, five pound bag of flour that then she'd walk back several miles to the house and they would grind it by hand. Like we have all come to expect that our food access should be free and yeah. cheap, easy. And it never was. And the way we are paying the price now for that. Yes. Have like a co-op or a community helping you to create these types of resources. You can do it inexpensively. You can get like everyone. How many people have probably like dehydrators or juicers or big Vitamixes collecting dust in their basements as we speak? Right, right. That they used once, yeah. So many them to a community church you know, kitchen to a school, to a Waldorf school, you know, like whatever, get them out there. Start yep. to, it's fun. Start to teach these kids how to grow sprouts, how to do these things. Like it is incredible what you can do for pennies. But okay. here's the, here's the problem though. I mean, like I live, I'm, I'm in alignment with you and I'm like, these are great ideas. And then I, this, this interaction with these teachers really gave well, me a new perspective because they were fearful they live in a community that is very fast food centric. They are stressed out because they now have to do Zoom with all of their classes. So if I had said to that guy, hey, go make your own peanut butter, I'm sure he would have given me the finger. Like, I don't think he... So So then I, it kind of goes back to the reason that we have cancer on the rise, the reason we have this, this pandemic, and it's that we haven't prioritized health. True. And that's sort of, you know, we'll come back, we'll flesh out a little bit more on diet, but this also segues into the other C, community. We've never, we've always had a tribal existence. Mm. We've always pooled our resources. You had some people that were hunting, some people that were gathering, some people that were making the clothes, some people that were preserving the foods, some people that were, you know, harvesting, like all of that came together. Mm-hmm. So part of this change is to also go back to the leadership in our communities, wherever you are, whether it's your neighborhood or your town or your city or your metropolis or your state or your country, whatever it is, like as it gets bigger and bigger and smaller and smaller, is you start to pool your resources together. And we start to go back to that communal approach that we've gotten I love that. so far away from, which is also a genetic ma- mismatch. Symbolic mm. mismatch for us. And so when I see those things happen at the time, Steve and I were like starving college kids living in a teepee on somebody's land, trading rent for chopping wood and carrying water and shoveling for driveway. We worked in a restaurant where we got our food for free. I worked in a health food store where I would get all the scraps that they were going to throw out. We came, I came from extreme poverty. My husband came from a very modest background of being baby of 10 children with parent, father, mom stayed at home and dad, who was a vice principal, so not a big income and mom raised all their food. This is how we survived these places. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people say, this is, this is the response of the affluent saying these things, you have no idea how 
like I, how close we were to being homeless on a regular basis. And my mom's pride kept us from that. We never took advantage of the social systems that were out there, but we took advantage of communal creation, communal living. Love that. We can do that everywhere. And my husband yeah. men have worked in places where we brought that type of education and that resistance, those gal butters, is because we have this entitlement today too. Mm-hmm. That we believe it should just be given to us. It should be our right. And it is on one level, but it has failed us. Our systems have failed us. So we have to recreate it and co-create it ourselves. And so people- give us, give some examples. Like, uh, like today, just think about the person like sitting in their suburban, you know, neighborhood where they don't really know their neighbor. So here's an example. I met my sister-in-law's in Altadena. Before this, she lived in a neighborhood where she like waves at her neighbors every once in a while. But my husband and I, when we moved here this summer for a period of time, we immediately put in raised bed gardens. Mm. In a matter of weeks, we don't even know, but literally on all three sides of her and across the street, we're handing like the guy in the back corner. He's from Vietnam. He grows the most amazing chilies that you could possibly imagine. The guy next door that I'm looking out at his window right now, he's got Myers lemons, grapefruit, limes on his trees. Steve and I grew probably enough zucchini and tomatoes and cucumbers to feed a small army. So mm-hmm. we've literally been exchanging these over our fences to each other. I feel like, the, what was that? I love it. They're like, just yeah, five, yeah. Five, Tim right? Allen. Totally. Yeah. Have that experience. And my sister like keeps saying, how crazy is it that we're in Los Angeles County having this experience? Love it. So being in this tiny town of Durango, Colorado, I have that experience all the time. I had a cow share and a dairy share and I knew all my farmers and I had CSAs and I go to the farmer's market. That was a whole, that was where it was like, it came to me. But in this environment, we have to go to each other. We have to lean more deeply into each other. Hmm. So I found my local Western A Price chapter here. They do a lot of collaborative exchange and food growing and going out to places where they're like, like we just got a message where he's like, hey, a bunch of, you know, limes are falling off the tree. If anybody wants to plant harvest and great. I mean, you could like things like that. Interesting. There's would a, you, yeah. Would yeah. you just go to Western A Price website? I'd never thought to do that. So go and check out what they have. Chapter meetings. They're always getting creative on communal dinners and growing of food and sourcing of good food and resources in their community. And they're all over the world. So those are some great resources. And okay. then it's like in Altadena where we are, there's a free, like a free giveaway like a social media platform, like on a Facebook, but you can literally go in and no one buys. Like they just like, oh, I'm getting rid of a crib or I'm getting rid of, like we got a chicken coop for my sister. The next move is we're starting to raise our our chickens. Love it. And her four-year-old grandchild is being raised in this environment to know what a tomato looks like. He's never seen a tomato grown at all in nature. He's out there picking them every night. He's going to help raise baby chicks that are coming soon. Yep. out of it is the victory gardens, the COVID mm, crisis yeah. making a comeback for the first time since World War II. That's yep. what excited and that's what can fuel and feed and change the world. I, I've been calling them immunity gardens. Instead of a community garden, it's an immunity garden. Love it. Yeah. Because we did the same thing when we went into quarantine. I was like, okay, we're going to start planting more vegetables. Like while everybody's rushing off to get toilet paper, we're going to plant, but add to our garden. And actually here in California, when it became the drought season a couple of years ago, we just said no more grass. And we took our whole front yard and we turned it into a vegetable garden. Mm -hmm. We get so many people walk by and make comments on it. But now you've given me another level of like, 
oh, I'm going to start taking that extra stuff, extra food and hand them out to my neighbors. Right. And in, in my sister-in-law's neighbor, we take this walk up the hill at night and people have put out like, it looks like little farm stands, like in front, like, you know, we had an abundance of cucumbers or people like, please, if you need it, please take it. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing that. Like there is a level of humanity, like you said, in the midst of this chaos, I'm also seeing some really beautiful things show up. No one should be going hungry. Mm-hmm. And I've watched like my, my friend, Tasha, who's Danae, her grandmother recently passed of COVID. She loaded up a truck. She lives in Santa Fe and she drove into the Navajo Nation, loaded up a truck of a bunch of good, non-perishable, high quality foods, like dehydrated powders and protein bone broths and things that can be in environments that don't have electricity and refrigeration. That's just as simple to add a pot of boiling water to. Mm-hmm. And becomes this nutrient density that maybe you then throw some other, you know, dehydrated things into the mix or share, you know, a meal with your partner who's going to bring over, say, some meats that they had, you know, like a, a friend who he's roadkill Dan, you know, like Dan, if he's listening to this, he'll crack up because people call me like there's a fresh deer on highway. I was going to say, what is he, what kind of roadkill does he bring? And you can imagine, in fact, I'm dying of laughter. His wife is a prolific writer and blogger. And she did the most hilarious thing that he was asking his daughter to clean up the dishes the other night. And she's like, well, I'll clean up the dish- dishes if you stop basically breaking down deer in our backyard. Such <laughs> 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 a 15 year old, you know, like, can you imagine? But he feeds, he takes whatever leftover meat. He calls all his friends, like anybody need a freezer full of meat? Calls up the soup kitchen. Like it's, and he knows it's, you know, it's fresh. He knows how to butcher. He's, yeah. He doesn't have either today. Yeah, that's crazy. So let's go back to diet for a second because I have some specific questions. I have some specific fasting questions. And again, I want to make sure that the the resetters that are going through cancer experiences, like some of the questions that that have come up. So let's talk about fasting. So one of my passions, as you know, is fasting. And I feel like we could save the world with fasting because it doesn't cost money. And you just need to learn how to do it. And it's a huge step into metabolic flexibility. But with cancers, are there some cancers you wouldn't want to fast with? Good question. So I'm the weirdo that I have been able to get every single patient I've ever worked with to fast in some form or fashion. Awesome. Out of fashion with their doctor or their family member and freak them out. But if I educate them to understand, for instance, the concept of cachexia, which is sarcopenia, muscle breakdown. This is a metabolic switch that happens in cancer patients somewhere along the way of their journey. And it's certain cancer types are more prone to it than others, such as pancreatic, ovarian, certain lung cancers, and, and a lot of in-stage, late-stage, stage four cancers. So when that happens, when you switch into breaking down your muscle quicker than you're holding on to things, in Western medicine, we always tell patients, always, 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 worst advice ever is no matter what, don't lose weight. What they're not qualifying for their patients is, are you a tofi? <laughs> That's sitting on the outside, skinny on the inside. Are you morbidly obese? What is your metabolic health? Because it's really about your metabolic health. If you are already diabetic or pre-diabetic at the time of your cancer diagnosis, or frankly, at the time of admission for COVID, your prognosis is worse, mm. period. So you should so they they should fix that up before they even go into chemotherapy or radiation. Absolutely. And you can definitely do it in the midst of it, which people like Dr. Vulture Longo and others have shown. But ultimately, here's what's very interesting is we have taught patients and physicians and family members to believe that you just feed them whatever they want and as much as they want, and that'll do it. What they don't tell you is that sugar, 
So all carbohydrates, no matter what, from fruit, from processed sugar, from pastas, from potatoes, all of that drives this hectic metabolic process even further. Mm. It also does so by increasing inflammation, which completely dismantles the whole system and drives metabolic syndrome worse. And it also does so by increasing angiogenesis. And angiogenesis is the new blood vascular flow to the, to the tumor to keep it alive while starving the rest of the body. So sugar literally drives more angiogenesis, more inflammation, more uh, progression of the disease, and it increases mortality. Some studies say 40%, others say upwards of 70% of patients come to cachexia over cancer when it comes to this. So the worst advice we could tell a patient is eat as much as you want you know, out there, unless we're telling them to eat as much fat as you want, because it's the carbs that are the problem and even too much protein becomes a problem. We might slow it down with increasing our protein needs a little bit. 0.8 grams per kilogram is our rule of thumb in the cancer community. Okay, that's a pretty low amount. So it's not, when people think ketogenic diet for cancer, they think it's carnivore. It's far from that. Mm-hmm. When we start to look at somebody who's pachectic, I might take their levels up to one to 1.2 grams per kilogram for a period of time to avoid that gluconeogenesis that can happen in the midst of this. I definitely strongly suppress your carbohydrate intake well below 20 um, grams, if not further, if need be, for a period of time. And a better strategy, ironically, and I have this being written up, it will be in Dr. Noak's new textbook coming out sometime in 2021, which is the whole chapter I got to do on cancer and fasting. I get to tell the story about a patient of mine who had three distinct cancers, that she had a blockage that they were giving her weeks to live, that she was had stopped responding to all of her different therapies, and she literally couldn't eat. So outside of some fluids that we did through IV nutrition and a few things that we could put under her tongue and frankly, rectally, she fasted. And, And not even by design, she just couldn't put anything in without it coming up or causing severe pain. This woman, and we have other studies that show this, people far more time than she spent, she went 62 days without food. Wow. 62 days. At the end of that 62 days, she was skinny as a rail, but her protein and her albumin levels were perfect. They were spot on. Her calcium levels were spot on. Her creatinine levels were spot on. There were no signs of metabolic acidosis or alkalosis or any organ failure or any breakdown of her muscle musculature. Even though she was skinny, she was holding on to the right stuff and letting go of the wrong stuff. Amazing. And went into complete remission of two of the three of the cancers and had one spot left on her colon of the third cancer. Her family and her doctors were freaking out about the fact that she wasn't eating. They admitted her against her will into the hospital and put her on an IV nutrition. And if you know anything about IV nutrition, it's about as poisonous as it gets. And my colleagues in nursing and in oncology wings will tell you that parenteral nutrition is likely the death march to your brain. Okay. Interesting. And it's awful. It's all sugar. Like the first Yeah, I was gonna say it's all glucose. Yeah. So here's a woman who hadn't had any sugar of any kind for six months. They killed her within two weeks from something known as refeeding syndrome. And so your listeners can go and take a look at that. Basically they overwhelmed her body with so much glucose that it put her into end stage organ failure and went into massive acidosis and she died. And oh my God. For the most, that's when I finally, and I was always careful with fasting with my cancer patients until that moment. And that's when, talk about the finger. I gave the double finger and a ton of F-bombs to say, that will never, ever happen on my watch again, ever. And I've been able to get people safely and successfully through fasting 
even long-term fasting with cancer. And I know when and how, because I'm test- testing our labs and I'm staying in good communication and I'm teaching the doctors how to do the same. Yep. When, what, and when, and why, and where. But ultimately we have so much data now showing that no one should be doing chemotherapy without fasting. At this oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. And what kind of fast? Intermittent fasting is fine. Well, and that depends. Like if you're someone getting an infusion of chemo every three or four weeks, you can do the long-go protocol, which is two days before the day of and two days after your chemo of nothing but water. Or if you're nervous, you can use his Prolon fasting formulation. Mm. I'm not a fan because it's really highly processed, but mm-hmm. if he does the trick, it's a fasting mimicking diet. I would like to see a better version of it on the market. And I'm actually working on that right now to get out there. And it's not about selling this. I just want quality food, yep. quality formulations versus just synthetic configurations to do this. But even he said in early before this fasting option was available, he would say in lectures that I heard him say in person on multiple occasions, it's best just to do water. And if you have to have anything, yep. a little bit of bone broth. And if you have to have something beyond that herbal tea with some cinnamon, if you have to something beyond that, maybe a little bit of roasted, you know, like dehydrated kale. Like that was really it. And when you look at the fasting mimicking diet, you're basically keeping somebody under 500 calories a day on a powderized form of food. So you can still do it with low caloric intake and do that around it. But I want my patients to stay on like water, bone broth, you know, herbal teas would be the preference. Now, if you're doing something where you're taking in, say, a daily chemotherapy, like a targeted therapy like Zolota or one of those others, then I tell people you want to take it in your fasted state if possible. There's some that you have to take with food, but that's where I have people doing like a 16-8 window. And they're taking it after like before they break their fast. So like 16 hours in the cells, like maybe let's say they're doing a 16-hour fast. I would have them take it maybe at hour 12 to 14 so that it is sitting in there kind of in those vulnerable cells that are like, I don't know what to do with this. Oh my gosh, I'm really vulnerable. This is making it more so. And it's gone through the system because most of these drugs are have short half-lives. But then when you do start to eat again, you've gotten the benefit from this. Do, do you, strategies. I, I love that. And do you think, I, I was thinking as you were talking, what do you think is more important? If you were given, you know, well, you were many years ago, but if you had a cancer di- diagnosis today, is it food or is it fasting that's more important? I know that's a tough one, but I'm kind of curious your opinion. Well, how I look at it is this. I think of fasting as the scalpel and I think of the food choices there on out as the maintenance. Mm. So it's like the thing pulling the... Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And it can enhance whatever you're doing. Yep. What, whether it's an integrative approach, a standard of care approach, or in the situation of me all those years back, I had a blockage I couldn't eat, went two whole months with, with fasting, or like this other young woman who went six months with no food. You can use it like a scalpel. You can use it like a direct tool. Again, this is under guidance. This isn't, I'm not telling people to go out and do this on their own. Right. Then we use food, like after you start to stabilize that, then we start to push for, okay, you've stabilized some things, but now we're going to push you in hard to get you, try to get your metabolic flexibility in on par. So that's where I say to the people, and we talked about this last time, 13 hours every day, every person without fail. Yep. 16 to 18 hours twice a week, every person, every situation, weekly without fail. And if you're metabolically broken or have a condition, a chronic, one of the big C's that we're talking about here, then I think even a three-day fast a month mm-hmm. to five-day fast a month under the guidance of somebody like you can be very profound. 
And even somebody like Dr. Paul Trilongo or Dr. Thomas Seafried or D'Agostino, these guys say that probably for prevention and longevity, doing a good five to 10 day fast at least once annually is yep. those profound resets. We yep, agreed. And, and even Dr. Longo says, people who finish up chemo, let's say you do your six months of chemo, he even recommends ongoing five-day fasts a month for the next six months. That's about the cleaning up of the terrain and plucking any of those residual weeds that might yeah. be coming from your awareness. Yeah, I am 100% with you there. It's like there's an intelligence in the body that we can tap into when we fast that it does. you could put all the smartest doctors in the world together and they're still not as powerful as that intelligence. And the only way you can get it is by fasting. Totally. So, Some amazing research is coming out right now. There's one at ASU. Look up the work of Paul Davies, this kind of atavastic model of cancer. He's actually a physicist saying that we should take a different approach. Of course, the metabolic world is already on board with this. Of course, a lot of the metabolic off-label drugs, they're targeting these agents from a pharmaceutical way. But I'll tell you, those drugs still are harmful to the brain, even yeah. if it's a much less toxic approach. So they can be used as a tool, but they shouldn't be leaned on entirely. And so when I see where we're all getting to the common denominator, it is the people like Dr. Davies and others in the adaptive theory to cancer camp that are studying this saying, the two biggest tools that we are probably missing out on in cancer, and I would weave this back around to say for all chronic illness and probably COVID, is diet and oxygen. So hyperbaric oxygen with fasting, with being in therapeutic ketosis is one of the most profound therapies I've seen to enhance all therapeutic interventions and lower progression-free survival, you know, like in- increased progression-free survival and increased overall survival, if not put cancer into a maintainable disease process or into a robust remission, depending on the situation. Yeah, we just got a hyperbaric in our clinic. <laughs> Love it. I call it my Benjamin Button machine because I go in it and then I come out and I feel like I like reversed age. You know, age. I'm like, oh, I'm like 16 now. <laughs> it's like we are oxidizing from the inside out. And if you hop into, so just a caveat, I tell patients, like, if you just hop into a hyperbaric oxygen chamber and you think that's going to do all the magic, if you are still oxidizing on the inside because of your diet, you will actually age yourself with those devices. Yeah. All of those things do the same thing. Like, you need to match the inside to the outside and the outside to the inside. So I don't want patients with cancer in a hyperbaric chamber unless they're in therapeutic ketosis if they're actively cancering. Because you can actually add insult to injury, increase oxidative stress in the wrong direction, and increase angiogenesis. And I've seen that over and over. Even when I was first trained in medical school, we were taught never use hyperbaric with cancer patients. That's where I've learned the last years, there's, there's a, a yeah but to that, which is that they're metabolically flexible and they're in a state of therapeutic ketosis, meaning blood ketones over the level of three. And I even have patients take a bump of exogenous ketones 20, 30 minutes before getting in the chamber to add an extra oomph to the picture. Then we have magic. Oh my God. I love that. You just gave me a whole nother level. I love that. So, okay. A couple of things. I could talk to you forever. So, but I feel like I got more questions for you, Nisha. Okay. There's a big debate, vegetarian, carnivore. So we're in, I love the CDC model that you have. So in this D, like I, hopefully if you're listening to this, you have no hesitation about fasting. Like Nisha and I could just keep giving you more science and more science on that. Like there's so much out there, but, but vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, if I have cancer. Yeah. I tell people test, assess, address, don't guess. 
and do not get sucked into the dogma world. Yes. Crazy. You know, I got coined as the ketogenic lady, but I've always been for 30 years, the, the metabolic flexibility lady. And I have seen vegetarians be able to get metabolically flexible. And I have seen carnivores be able to get metabolically flexible. And I have seen omnivores be able to get metabolically flexible. I will tell you, I've not seen vegans be able to get metabolically flexible, but I'm not making that, that this isn't a judgment. I was a vegan for seven years. I actually really like it. It like, I like the idea and I liked aspects of it and how it felt mm-hmm. in my body, but my chemistry and my thyroid and my body composition didn't like it at all. Mm. That being said is, and maybe I would love to meet a vegan who has metabolic flexibility. I'd love to see their A1C, their insulin. I'd love to see their triglycerides. I'd love to see their major nutrients that are often depleted in those environments, your B12, your zinc, your selenium, your magnesium, your vitamin D, your K2 levels. Those are all our anti-cancer and our anti-COVID treatment, right? That's an important one. And I've yet to find one who on a particular test are really honing it on that unless they're taking an animal-based B12 and fish oil, which doesn't really go with the camp of veganism. So you don't often see that. And yeah, you can get B12 and D2 from mushrooms and other things, but you're not getting the bioavailable forms. You could be even getting the toxic forms, which I've also seen, unfortunately, in practice. Mm -hmm. So not to say that any of these diets on the far end, carnivore or vegan, can't have a time and a place short term, but for the longer term place, someplace in between or being flexible and adaptable Mm -hmm. to the team, but base it on your own metrics, on your And for instance, like, People who are really like, I want to eat tons of grains and I want to do this and da, 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 da. And if they have a TCF7L2 SNP, they did not get, they did not come with the operations manual that has the amylase to break those things down. Mm. So basically those grains and legumes just become like giant sugar bombs in their body. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're APOA2 or ACL1 or APOE34, you eat a piece of steak and that acts like a, like a big candy bar in your system as well. So there are epigenetic hiccups that you came in in your blueprint that respond better or worse to certain dietary interventions. So if your labs are not having the outcomes that you'd like, it's time to take a deeper dive into your epigenetic blueprint and get really individualized there, which is so, so cool to do. Because if the ah. I was just consulting with a lead surgeon at Barrows Neurological who couldn't understand why this one patient of his who this doctor is seen and he's reported the fact that he's had many glioblastomas go into remission or stabilization with ketogenic diet. And he was up against it and up against it and up against it with one patient. And he thought the patient was cheating and all these other things. Yeah, not telling the truth. Yep. And I look at this guy, seems like this guy could not get above one on his blood ketones. And we're looking at it, it's like he was eating all the wrong foods for his genetic match that were keeping him inflamed. And keeping him in the inability to utilize his fats appropriately. He had a lot of hiccups that he literally couldn't carry the fat across the cell membrane. So he really kicked up his L-carnitine levels. That made a humongous difference. It's like overnight, ketones suddenly shot up above two. We learned that dairy, not his friend, and red meat, not his friend. So he had to basically become a a grain-free, legume-free, Mediterranean-rich diet. A lot of of fish for him and a lot of other oils like olive oil. It made all the difference. And this doctor was like mind blown to realize, wow, N equals one. We have to remember that. We've got to get out of our... I keep hearing that. Everybody I've been interviewing has been saying N equals one. It's such a great, like, be your own, do your own research on yourself. Do you think the microbiome plays a part in that? Because like, you know, the, I've been doing some research on the Firmicutes to Bacteroides ratio. Yes. 
and that like carnivore does better if they have a high firmicutes compared to bacteroides. So yeah, yeah, talk about that. Well, and again, we the problems today is we are even getting a little myopic in looking at these. Perhaps agreed. Monocropped our food supply and our food system, and yet historically we had access to hundreds of different varietals of foods and grains and uh, even animal, like, and the way we eat the animals, we ate the nose to the toes and everything. We were taking it all in. It's really hard today to see that type of diversity in our diet. So you have to kick it up every once in a while. Now you can do testing like biome and other things to see what your blueprint is in that moment, but it changes. It's, you know, three days of fasting will change your microbiome. Being a carnivore, three days vegan. So you can play with this. Like we actually had beans for the first time in probably a year and a half, my, my husband and I, and well, I mean, this is probably weight TMI, but it was like the next day was probably one of the best poops I've had. And <laughs> yep. then it backfired because I mm. have, like my RA kicked up unbelievable. Like all these things with the lectins for me are really a problem. So as much as I love them, they don't love me back. And mm-hmm. so these moments of like, wow, it seems like a good thing. And then the follow-up, like the delayed immune reaction kicked in and let me know the reality of my situation. And probably why everything was like seeming like it was such a good wash is my body's like, get it out of here. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Humbling moment. But with regards to this is we all, just like we have our own epigenetic blueprint, we have our own microbiomic, you know, our microbiome is also its own blueprint. We have our own endocannabinoid blueprint. Oh, interesting. When you talk about the N equals one, this is where medicine has to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, you listen to a podcast like this and you're like, just tell me what to do. (laughs) It's it's like, it's not that easy. You're living in a toxic, physically, emotionally, chemically toxic environment. And the strategy out is to find what diet works for you, what fast works for you. It's very frustrating. From being flexible and adaptable because what may work initially may stop working over time. Just like with cancer, in three to six months after starting a new treatment, the cancer becomes wise and it mutates and you need something different. That is happening in our microbiome. That is happening in our cellular responses as well. So you may need to alter things seasonally, geographically. You may need to explore like foods that you thought were good for you, like this gentleman with Barrow's Neurological and he actually was allergic to things, you know, like didn't even realize, oh, I actually have an actual allergy to tapioca or, so, you know, like you start to find those things. You have to be a living laboratory. Listen to your body. See how it feels after you ingest something. Keep a diet diary. That is very helpful. Note your symptoms. There's a way to even feel your pulses after you eat a meal. And if they get really rapid, you have a reaction to something you ate. Great so idea. Baseline before and after. That is a simple built-in test for yourself again, for free. Yeah. And what do you think about testing your blood sugar after you eat? I love those ways of like pre and post testing because until you get to know, you start to know after a while, maybe you do that for a month mm-hmm. and then you don't do it that often. Yep. It really hip to the fact that, yeah, if I have um, breakfast now, I actually, my blood pressure, my blood sugar gets really wonky. I do much better if I fast in the morning. Real world, I loved. I prefer to fast at night, but I know that my husband—that's his love language. So cooking for me at night is his thing. So it's like I've had to adapt, and my body lets me know it's like mm, this isn't quite perfect for you. So you have to rein it in on the other levels. Yep. So you have to just keep exploring. That's why I have a glucose monitor, ketone blood monitor. I do my labs at least once a year. If I'm symptomatic at all, I take a peek again. I've been doing that. I've been collecting my own data on myself for nearly thirty years. And that on hundreds of thousands of lab, you know, evaluations, 
to see very clear patterns and start to recognize things well before they become pathologic. And I'm trying to teach people to get quiet and still enough and aware enough and curious enough to see that within themselves before it also becomes pathologic in them. Yeah, so powerful. I just, I'll tell you one other thing and then I've got to close it up with, with five of my favorite questions that I have specific for you. I'm doing some, some microbiome testing on myself. So we use gut zoomer. And so I went to Vibrant Wellness and I'm like, here's what I want to do. I want to test my stools pre and post a, f- a five-day water fast. Okay. I want to do it pre and post a vegetarian, just doing vegetarian. And I want to do it pre and post carnivore. I love it. So I started with carnivore. I just did it a couple of weeks ago. I was really proud of my pre. I was like, yeah, this is a great looking microbiome. You know what was in my post that still is blowing my mind? It showed up with anti-gliadin and anti-zonulin markers. All I ate was meat for a day. And it was all grass-fed. None of it was grain-fed. Somebody's probably lying to you. I've actually had this experience. Really? And a patient who, we were looking at her IGF-1s for years. And it was like, we'd gotten it down. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it started spiking. And she was like, didn't change anything. She's literally having dinner one night with her husband. She's watching the TV, the news on TV, and their butcher gets arrested for lying about their cuts. He was buying the meat from Costco, started buying the meat from Costco, and oh, grass That's interesting. Hold them a little accountable and say, show me the data. That, and it made international news. And two other people that were in her circle had also had issues. As soon as she went back to true grass-fed, grass-finished all the way through and really knew the source of her meat, her levels went right back down. So that is an fascinating. And I'm well, going to pulling some old things out of hiding for you too. That can happen too. Well, so that's what I talked to Dr. Paul Saladino, the carnivore code guy. And he's like, oh, I've seen that before. I talked to Dr. Pompa and he's like, I want you to do another test and see if it's still around. So I am, I'm going to do another one here in a couple of days. But yeah, so I'm doing all kinds of testing on microbiome just to see. But now, you know, I'm chatting with you and I'm like, it, it is N of one. So just because it's working in a certain way for me doesn't mean it's applicable to the whole world. Totally. I love it. That's like the Dave Feldman's of the world, right? Who monitor every little thing and every nuance. It's so rewarding. And it doesn't apply like what he's learning for himself would never apply to any of us. Right. And, right. And that's the seduction is we all want that. Ease. Right. Yeah. So true. It's so true. Okay, let me finish up with this. So my five questions for you. Here's my first question. If you could go back and you could talk to the young woman who got the cancer before she got the cancer diagnosis that you got, what would you tell her? Wow. First of all, I would tell her that life is going to be incredibly different than the first half of your life. Like it was unbelievable. I didn't, I did not, that girl did not want to be on this planet. Mm -hmm. And to be able to tell her, it may not seem like it right now, but this cancer is actually your lighting of your inner pilot light to live, to thrive mm. your purpose and passion on this planet. So I would want her to know that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so there was a purpose. And this, this is like every single guest I've had on this podcast has a pain to purpose story, which if you're listening to this and you're in the pain, I promise you the purpose is coming. So I just love that. Okay, second question. You and I are standing in line at a grocery store. I don't know you. And you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a cancer expert. I don't know how you described yourself. And I say, okay, tell me three things that I absolutely need to do right now to prevent cancer. What would those three things be? Well, I'd peer into your, into your uh, cart and I would probably pull 
that would be number one, which are going to be in all your like super high carbohydrate, you know, vegetables and all your breads and pastas and your fruits and your candies and your sodas, which of course I would never find in your car, but that's no. what I really do first is like, let's take out what's bothering you and let's add in what is, what is, can help you, which I like all the detox support pieces, which I know there's a lot of people out there in the camp of vegetables being good or bad. But in my world of cancer, we have to have those cofactors. We need to have those things that are cleaning up, you know, helping your glutathione levels, helping scavenge up free radicals. I need to see that you're eating five to 10 servings of vegetables in all varieties, every color, especially above the ground, low glycemic. And that day, so I want to fill up that cart. So it looks like a big, beautiful garden in your cart. And I want to make sure you are drinking high quality water. I want to make sure you are not drinking your city water. And if you are, go to ewg.org and look at their zip code water thing to know what is going into your drinking water. They're only testing for certain things. They're not even telling you what people's chemotherapy or antidepressants or antibiotics you're ingesting. So do know that you need to get a good quality water source because it doesn't exist on this planet really today. Those would be the first three because those are things you can do day in, day out that you have control on. And yep. then you put the fork to your mouth or that glass of water to your mouth, you know you did something good for yourself. Yeah, that's super smart advice. And you know, there's a local neighborhood that my parents live in and a bunch of people in the neighborhood got a letter from the water district that said, we just want to let you know that we have identified that there are some forever chemicals that have been, that are in your water. And we just really would just want to give you a notice on it. I, my, like I had a patient bring it in. I'm like, what? They admitted it? Crazy. Think about it. And they're not telling you, like when they say forever in your water, that's also forever in your body. And yeah. they, they probably did that because someone said, you should do this to wall off any lawsuits and know that 95% of people won't even read this letter. And yeah. the, the 5% that do read it, less than 1% of them will even know what that actually means. And, and, that, and less than 1% of that person will actually go and do the homework to realize how effed they are. Yeah. And, so that's where you just go. They bank on our stupidity. Yep. It's not yeah. a reason to do that. Yeah. Crazy. So, okay. What is in the last, let's see, we are in August right now. So let's say in 2020, what is the best book on health that you have read? And you don't need to say my book. <laughs> yeah, I, I shout out all the time. Her book is the only book I've ever willing done a review on for a hormone-based book and loved it and talk about it all the time. So thank you. Coming out very soon. Yeah. The print version, the the Kindle version's out, but the print, it got picked up by a publisher, which is awesome. So now we're on a slow track to getting the print book out, but it'll be back out in November. Well, then the next book I would say is actually Travis Christopherson's that just hit the market this week. I had a mm. pleasure of reading it about a month ago before it hit the hit the ethers. And it's also in, in a, a version that's called Ketones. And it's history and the the background from Otto Warburg to Kreb to Veach, who just passed away last year. Love it. And so it is so good. It's like the history of the metabolic warriors. And it's excellent. So loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And Travis, he like writes, it's like a fun book of reading, even though it's scientific. He makes it reading like a fun novel. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to order it when we get off. Okay. What are your three favorite podcasts that you listen to on a regular basis? Or you could don't have to do three, like a couple that you like to get yourself inspired and informed. So I'm, I, I'm, I, my husband is like a major podcaster junkie. I honestly feel like I never have time. I'm, I'm a voracious researcher and reader. But when I do take a peek, I like Peter Adia's stuff. 
just because I really like the depth and the science um, aspects of it. I am really enjoying... Because I just was on her podcast recently and I went back to kind of review some of her pieces, but I liked J.J. Blazane. Hers has got a very positive kind of... A little bit of an esoteric spin to it. So it takes me out of my usual, you know, brain moment here. And then really, I don't... I'm, I just, I'm terrible at this, but when I am finding it, I'll tell you a really funny thing because I don't watch TV. We don't have TV. My sister-in-law just made me watch for the first time and I'm three episodes in, Shit's Creek, and I am dying. <laughs> now my weird guilty pleasure of some Shit's Creek uh, Netflix-y brain food for me that is taking me out of my seriousness and making me get to laugh and, and, and see other experiences in the world that are out of my typical realm. Oh, I love it. Okay. I have another Netflix one for you because Jessica and I are Netflix. We've been like trading Netflix favorite shows. I'm sorry. If you want to pee your pants, it's called I'm Sorry. It's about a comedian who's a mom and oh my gosh, it's hysterical. I won't say anymore, but there's only, there's two seasons. So you can go watch. I'm sorry. So I love this because it's like, I get pretty serious and pretty myopic in my world. And this extricating me from that has been very helpful. So if anything, COVID has given me a guilty pleasure excuse to sit on my butt and watch a few 20, 30 minute episodes in the evening. And I am loving it. It's only a new thing for me. It's only in this past week. So I will yeah. so add your recommendation. I love it. I love it. Okay. And the last question, if you had one message that you could implant into everybody's brain, it could be about health, it could be about life, anything, what would that message be? I think just given everything we talked about the big C, this is a message that was an old tagline of mine that seemed to have made a resurgence in this craziness, which is, if you ignore your health, it will go away. And so I implore you Mm. to test, assess, address, don't guess, Mm -hmm. and start the healing regenerative project process now. Don't wait. Don't wait for a diagnosis. Don't wait for a big C of any kind, COVID, cancer, chronic illness, to get get things changed from the get-go. You have the power to do so. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. Well, I adore you. I could chat with you all day and just thank you so much for the amazing work you're doing. And your book is my go-to book for cancer. Whenever somebody asks, you know, I have a friend or I have a loved one, I'm like, you got to get the metabolic approach to cancer. So and you, any new books coming out anytime soon? Yes, we have a mistletoe book coming out. Maybe okay. we might be able to get it out by Christmas. We're working our butts off, but it'll probably be first quarter of 2021. Okay. We actually have another book that we're pushing to get out first quarter of 2021, which is actually, it's been in the project. We've been in the process for two years. It's basically done, but we've pivoted a lot of the content added a ton thanks to COVID. And the new title of the book is Pandemic Proof. Oh, that's great. Yeah, metabolic approach to preventing chronic and acute illness. And so there's ah. the big three C's we've been talking about. Love it. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. When that book comes out, let me know and we will get it out to our resetters. So, and you're a hard person for the, the common person to find. How do they, do they go to your website? Do they go to your Instagram? Because for you guys, she, she consults with doctors. She's on a pretty high level with getting her message out. But how do people find you? Well, go to drnasha, dot com. get on my newsletter because I always download what I'm up to. That's where you yeah. can follow me, like a Where's Waldo moment of that. <laughs> awesome. You can follow me on the Metabolic Approach to Cancer Facebook page or the Dr. Nasha Inc. 
Facebook page, which also has a lot. I'm always putting up content and resharing a lot of your cool stuff as well. And in this, you can also check out what I'm up to building this hospital. So go to, you Google Believe Big Institute of Health. It will take you to believebig.org and look under resources and take a look at this hospital that we are building, which is a metabolic forward research centric residential integrative oncology hospital with the best of all offerings of standard of care oncology with integrative oncology under one roof, where we are addressing the CDC that we've talked about today from the ground up, from the soil up. And we are actively seeking our funding for this. This is a dream that's been building for almost 30 years and it's coming to fruition. And I can't wait to have a place. It also will have an event center where we'll be doing conferences and all kinds of things where people can come and live and actually be in an environment that teaches them how to live well on this planet. Amazing. Wow. Well, you are a gift to humanity. So thank you so much. I don't want to say I'm glad that you had your pain so you could have your purpose, but I'm going to say thank you for using your pain for such a great purpose. So adore you. Ah, Thank you so much. Nothing that I love to talk about more than wine. So I got to tell you about Dry Farm Wines, which is my absolute favorite place to get wine from for many different reasons. One, they're keto friendly. You didn't hear that wrong. They're literally keto friendly. They have no added sugars, no added toxins, and they will leave you feeling amazing the next morning. So go check out their website. Not only is the wine incredible, but the people behind the wine are amazing. You guys know how I love people who are on a mission to serve the world. Well, Todd White and his crew are on a mission to help people drink healthy wines and enjoy the whole experience. So they taste amazing. And if you go to dryfarmwines.com backslash Dr. Mindy Pels, they will actually send you a bottle for a penny. So give it a try. Let me know what you think. And cheers to an incredible wine experience. Okay, resetters. So that was a lot. We unpacked a lot of information. But what I really love about Nation, where she and I are both so passionate about teaching lifestyle. So I just want to unpack for you that CDC idea oh, was brilliant. brilliant. I loved it. It was probably my favorite thing she said all day. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that there is like just something around the ability to take something very complex as diet and changing your environment so that cancer is no longer welcome or COVID isn't welcome. And then bringing it down into these three, the CDC was, was really interesting. I loved the simplicity of that. Yes. I also love the rebranding of CDC. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let's take CDC back because if you, yes. if you guys aren't familiar with the CDC, they actually, there's a lot of money and politics that goes into making sure that the information that comes out of the CDC is has a certain slant. So the fact that she's taking it back and giving it to the person is amazing. The other, My other takeaway, and I keep hearing this over and over again, is the N of one. Mm-hmm. 
We've had a couple people mention it on the podcast. We have had several people mention the N of one. And I think this is an important concept, you guys, because we can give you some really good general advice on diet and fasting and detoxing. And then what we're asking you, what Nash is asking you, uh, Dr. Saladino said it. I was interviewed on another podcast recently and the N of one came up, is that you take the information and you apply it to yourself. And you find your own path. And I get that that's frustrating. I get that that's really hard to do. But it is so effective if you really start to tune in. Well, and it's also so important because each one of us is living a very different life from what we do physically, emotionally, chemically, work-wise. Like there's so many factors that go into our daily daily living that it's you can't just put one oh, you're going to do this kind of fasting and this kind of diet forever and ever and ever. You can't do that on every single person. No, no, you can't. And I, and I think it's, it's how we approached health in the allopathic conventional model. So it would make sense that the world would say, okay, well, I'm going to do things naturally. Give me the one diet. Give me the one fast. Give me the one supplement. And, I, and I, I'm going to continue to say this over and over again, that we have to think bigger than that. Mm-hmm. The, my other amazing thing that I loved and uh, that she said was about community and how doing health... I mean, this is what we do in the resetters is we all fast together. Well, she had some great ideas about, I mean, we brought up the money concept again. She had some great ideas about how we can still live a healthy life. We can do it in community, but she really kind of broke down some of the excuses that I think that we hear from people that don't want to eat healthier, don't want to fast, or even though fasting's free, they don't want to do the detox. They don't want to do these things, but I mean, she really disarmed a lot of those excuses. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And you have a Meyer lemon tree, as do I. Did you feel all of a sudden start to feel like there was a greater purpose for your Meyer lemon tree? Well, I feel like I've already known the greater purpose of my lemon tree because I bring them in every year. I know you do. I have shared them, but I don't really share my avocados except (gasps) with my animals. So That's true. They beat me to them. (laughs) You haven't brought me avocados. I'll take some. That's I love avocados. I got to beat the dogs for them. <laughs> okay, well, that's really. good. I got to beat Greta for them. <laughs> that's good for the dogs. But yeah, you know, I think you guys, again, the power of community, the power of lifting each other up. I have said this for years that I do not understand why we do health alone. When you look at religion, what do people do with religion? They come together in a community and they raise each other up in a community. You look at schools done in a community. You look at even the workplace, you know, it's just, you've got people coming together. So why do we do health independently? It doesn't make sense. It's so much more fun to do it together and support each other, which is why I adore the Resetter Collaborative and how everybody comes together and fast together once a month. Well, and if you go back to what she was saying ancestrally, and we talk about, or we go back to Paul's episode as well, like that's what they were doing back then. Everybody had their their area of expertise and they came together at the end of the day. We don't do that. I think grocery stores have probably prevented a lot of that. It's just yeah. easier to go to the store and buy your own things than try to collaborate on a communal garden or yep. exchange different things. 
Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I do think that, you know, there's been so many gifts of the pandemic and one of them is the opportunity to do things that com- uh, as a community. But then on the flip side of that, we have really seen a lot of people isolate, especially, you know, our elderly isolating because nobody wants to infect each other. And I just think that's so important that we remind ourselves if we can't physically do community, we can definitely do it online. Again, we've got, if you guys are not familiar with our Resetter Collaborative, we fast together once a month and we've got people around the world that are doing it energetically and collectively together, even though we've never seen each other face to face. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, super awesome. And oh my gosh, so what did you think of her book, her books that she was influenced by and the and the book that she's writing? Okay, well the book that she's writing, that title, holy cow, is amazing. It's amazing. I can't wait to get that thing out. I also didn't know she was creating a whole institution. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Learn more about it. Yeah. Uh, Her favorite book. I can't remember. Oh, it was the. It was. Besides you. (laughs) Yeah, it was Ketones. Oh, it was Ketones. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to have to look that up. So he wrote, the author of that wrote a book called Tripping Over the Truth. I have it actually behind me here. On your favorite reads on your website. Yeah. It's one of those ones that when people have cancer, I recommend they get because it is, it just gives you a perspective of chemo and radiation, but it was, it's an old book. It's been around for a while. So it's pretty cool that he's writing a new one. I also loved what she said about what she would do if she met you in a grocery line. I'm like, (laughs) she would take all the stuff out of the cart. I'm like, that's perfect. It was great. I love that. That's my new favorite question. So... Okay, Resetter. So go find her. She is, you know, like she's, she mentioned, we will put all the links to her information. She is one of the most humble and inspiring humans that I have met in the, if we call it the health influencing world. She is just genuine as you guys felt her to be. So, and when you follow her on social media, you really pick that up. She is all about, let me give you information. Let me empower you so you can make the best decisions. So that was a real treat for me. So hope you liked it as much as we did. You put the whole foods in, you take all empty foods out, you put organic food in, and you shake bad toxins out. You eat keto biotic and your microbiome shouts. That's what it's all about. You put fast cycling in, you take overeating out, you put the good fats in. Trying seven fast types out. You download Carb Manager where your food is all graphed out. That's what it's all about. That's what resetting is all about.